You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Well, I was going to introduce myself, but I guess Riz just did that for me. Um, he says, I feel like I don't know a lot of you, even though Riz says I do. So if I haven't met you, I would love to. So uh, please uh, come say hi afterwards. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. We are going to continue today in our series in the book of Philippians. Specifically, we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. So we're in chapter 4, which is the last chapter. We're almost done. And it's been a really good thing to be going through this letter. I say letter because the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi, which was also, we'd imagine, a pretty small church, probably not that different from our own. So there's a lot of things that we can glean and learn from. Even though this letter wasn't written to us, there's so much that we can learn from it. Um, And today we're actually going to read the most famous verse in the whole letter, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and it's a really powerful and amazing verse, so I'm excited to to talk about God's Word with you this morning. So all that being said, uh, let's read it. So Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 4 for some context. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And then our specific verses for today. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. May the Lord bless giving us a good understanding of his word this morning. So uh, something about me, uh, what I do for work, I'm a data scientist. Now, I I saw um, this comedian recently, and she was doing some crowd work, and she asked this guy, what do you do for work? And he said, I'm a data scientist. She was like, ugh. That is the quickest way to end a conversation. I can't even think of one follow-up question to that. And that's honestly, that's pretty true. Uh, And it's not a very helpful title. It doesn't really make any sense. So basically what I do is I look at data, I analyze it, I try and find trends or pattern or insights um, from data. So I like looking at data. And since I'm up here and I have the mic in your captive audience, we're going to look at some data today. So... (laughs) What we're going to look at uh, is called the World Happiness Report. 
And what this does uh, is this survey, they go all around the world and they ask this question. Please imagine a ladder with steps numbered from zero at the bottom to 10 at the top. The top of the ladder represents the best possible life for you and the bottom of the ladder represents the worst possible life for you. On which step of the ladder would you say you personally feel you stand at this time? So basically they're asking people to rate how happy they are on a scale of one to 10. And on this graph, you can see the lighter colored countries are the countries that on average scored higher are more happy, and then the countries that are darker are the ones that on average scored lower. Um, it's, this survey, there's, it's not perfect, there's definitely issues with it, but I think it's, it's still interesting. You can see uh, Afghanistan is actually uh, one of the lowest scoring countries, um, and then the Scandinavian countries tend to score pretty highly, so like Denmark, Norway, Sweden, um, Finland, those guys. Um, one, so, a question you might ask is, well, why is that? What are some of the underlying factors that go into this? So if we look at the next one, I have more graphs. Um, this next graph, I don't know if you can really see it that well, but basically what it's showing is on the y-axis, the up and down, it's showing the average score per country. So the higher you are, the higher you score. And on the x-axis, it's showing uh, average GDP per capita, or basically how much money does the average person have? And then each of those dots represent a country, however large the circle is, is, is how large that country is by population. So it's a lot. But basically what you can see there is this upward line, right? The trend of the line goes from left up to right. And what that's showing is that on average, the higher your GDP, the further are you are, further along you are on the x-axis, the higher your average happiness score. So what this is saying is that GDP or wealth correlates pretty strongly to average score on this happiness report. If we look at one more graph, this is kind of showing the same thing, um, but instead we're now looking at average life expectancy. So now the happiness score is on the y-axis, up and down, and life expectancy is on the x-axis. And you can again see that there's this upward trend. It goes kind of from left up to right. And what that, what that again is showing is that the correlation is the higher the uh, average life expectancy, on average, the higher the happiness score. So we're, content, we're talking about contentment today, right? So this feels appropriate. There's no more graphs. Um, but uh, this measurement gives us this some idea. It shows us that uh, GDP and that average life expectancy are pretty highly correlated with how happy the people of that country is. Now, if I'm being honest, that's kind of scary because we don't control where we're born. So basically, it, what this is saying is if you're lucky enough to be born in a country and two parents in that country that have a decent amount of money and have good access to healthcare, then you can have a happy life. Uh, is that all there is? Is that all there is to life? We're just hoping to win the birth lottery? And even if we are born into a good circumstance, we're hoping that our health continues to be good and that we continue to have money. 
That's kind of the question that Paul is addressing in these verses. Does contentment depend on circumstance? Does it depend on having plenty? Does it depend on having luxury or enough to eat? And that's what we're going to look at today. So I have three questions, if you're following along, um, that we're going to pose about this passage uh, as we uh, try and see what I think is a really radical message that, that Paul is bringing us. So first question, what is Paul saying? What is Paul saying in these verses? And also on the flip side of that, what is he not saying in these verses? So I'm going to reread uh, verses 11 through 13 again. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So again, we saw that happiness is correlated to health and wealth on some level, but Paul is showing the secret to contentment regardless of those things. I want you to take a minute and think about what it would look like if you were fully content. If somebody asked you that question and you said, I'm a 10, I cannot imagine my life being any better. Just think about that for a second. What would that, what would that look like for you? I know for me, if I'm being honest, when I asked myself this question, the first thing that came to mind, the first couple things that came to mind, um, my car is having some issues, so a new car would be great. Um, I would love a job where I work less and made more money. I would wish I could travel all the time, could see my family whenever I wanted, if I owned a nice house. Um, if I could beat Derek or Matt in golf, like, just once, that would be amazing. Doesn't even have to be both of them, just one. Um, yeah. Uh, so that would be, okay, my life is a 10, that's great. But notice, almost all of those things I said are, are earthly things. Most of those things are related to money. Now, so that's my 10. Think about your 10. Think about those things that you wish maybe were better. Now think about what would your life look like if it was a zero? So for my example, what if my car just stopped working at all? What if I got fired from my job? What if we got kicked out of our apartment? What if I could never see my family? What if I had some serious health problem that meant I couldn't even get out of bed? If you're asking me to choose between the zero and the 10, I'm gonna take the 10. I feel like I would be way more content, way more happy with the 10 than with the zero. So how is it possible that you or I could be equally content in either one of those situations. That's not possible, right? From a normal human perspective, it's not possible. But what Paul is saying is that for a citizen of heaven, for someone who follows Jesus, that is possible. When Paul says, I can do all things, what he means is that he can be content in any circumstance or any situation, whether it's good or whether it's bad, through Jesus. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear Philippians 
is Tim Tebow. I don't know if any of you remember. Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow was the quarterback at the University of Florida from like 2007 to 2009. Um, he would always do this thing that you see in that one picture. He would like kneel down like this before a game. I remember like in gym class, if you did something good, you would Tebow. That was like before dabbing, there was Tebowing. Um, but the other thing that I think of, and you can see that other picture on the right, is he would wear these eye black patches underneath of his eyes, and he would write Bible verses on them. And the most famous one is Philippians 4.13. You can see, you know, on the cover of Sports Illustrated there, Philippians 4.13, under his eyes, looking super intense. And I think this is what a lot of people think about when they think of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. I can go out and win this game. I can go out and accomplish all these amazing things because God is with me. And that's where this verse can get a little misrepresented sometimes. Now, I don't want to slander Tim Tebow. I don't think that's what he would say. He's a really good guy. But um, again, this verse does get misrepresented and misquoted a lot. This verse is not about God empowering us to meet our own earthly goals. It's not about politics. It's not about career achievements. It's not about winning sports games. It's not even about having good physical health. Through Jesus, you and I can be equally content when we have power and influence or when we don't. When we have a great job or when we have a job that we hate or when we don't have a job. When your favorite sports team wins and when they don't. When you and your loved ones are healthy and cared for or when they're not. That's a bold claim. But I do want to take a minute and, and point out that Paul, and more importantly, the person Paul was trying to live after, Jesus, they weren't just saying these things. They weren't just talking the talk. Jesus was born to a poor family as a part of a poor and oppressed nation. He did not come to this earth into comfort or luxury or privilege. He said this about himself. This is a verse from Matthew chapter 8. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying even birds and animals have more physical comforts and possessions than he does. He was the ultimate example of being content no matter what his physical circumstances were. And the same with Paul. Paul went through beatings, imprisonment, shipwrecks. He was outcast by his own people. And he's writing this letter from prison. So he's not just saying this. He's not telling the Philippian church to be content no matter what. And he's you know, sitting nice and pretty somewhere. No, he experienced so much hardship. So, back to our first question. What is Paul saying? He's saying we can have contentment, we can have peace and joy regardless of our earthly circumstances. I also want to point out, too, we've talked a little bit about being content through hard times, but Paul also says that we need to be content when there's abundance. To be content when there's a little, but also when there's a lot. A lot of times when people have money or positions of power or influence or when they're really good at something, they're not content with just as it is. They always want more. That's our whole culture, right? Is always want more. We always want more. We always want more. 
But we need to be able to look at our lives, to be honest with ourselves, and look where we do have abundance in our lives, and to be content and find contentment in that. And let's be real for a second. Paul's standard, when he talks about having plenty or having abundance, that's very different than ours. It's, it's easy for us, it's easy for me to feel like I don't have enough even when I have so much. Most of us in here, we, we almost always have food to eat, clothes to wear. You know, a lot of us maybe have a car or a job. And we get to live in Hawaii in the 21st century. Like, we are very blessed. That doesn't mean that we don't go through hard times. That doesn't mean that we don't suffer. suffer. That doesn't mean that we don't have needs. But it also means we need to have the right perspective. We need to not let our stuff determine our happiness or our contentment. We need to learn to be content with little, but also to be content when we do have abundance. So the natural question might be, how? How do you do this? How, how is this possible? Well, to try and explore that question, we're going to look a little further back in the letter to the Philippians uh, in chapter 3, where Paul says this. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What Paul is talking about in these verses is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the thing that Jesus taught about and preached about and announced. And when I say kingdom of heaven, I'm contrasting that with the kingdom of earth. Or maybe you heard me say, you know, earthly things or earthly circumstances. And what I mean by earthly things is anything that we can't take with us beyond this life. Our money, our possessions, our power, our accomplishments, even our relationships. So that's earthly things, but by contrast, the kingdom of heaven is something that God promises is coming now, but also is going to come fully one day. The kingdom of heaven is when God is going to make heaven and earth new again. It's when he's going to right all of the wrongs of this world and make everything whole and as it was meant to be once again. And for those of us who confess our sins and accept Jesus as our Savior, we get to be a part of that kingdom. We get to be a part of that thing that is made whole and perfect again. And not only that, Paul says in these verses, our bodies will be transformed. Our bodies are going to be made new and perfect, just like Jesus' body when he rose from the dead. We are going to be given eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're waiting for. That is where our citizenship, our loyalty, our hope lies in. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he gives us a place and an inheritance in this new kingdom. I'm going to read a little bit from the Gospel of Luke. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, 
where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how can Paul, how can Paul be content despite his physical circumstances? Because his treasure was in heaven. He didn't hold any stocks. He didn't hold any investment in this world. Everything he valued and everything he hoped for was heavenly. And I think the investment analogy is, is, a, is an okay one. If you're investing in the things of today, in, if your mood, your anxiety, your level of happiness is connected to your money, your relationships, your health, sometimes those things are going to be good. But there's going to be other times when those things are not so good. And let's be real. Even when they are going good, you're probably spending the whole time worrying about when they're going to go bad again. And at the end of the day, investing in earthly treasure is a failing investment because one day we're all going to die. And we can't take any of that with us. Now, on the flip side, if you invested in heavenly treasure... You don't need to worry about your earthly circumstances. Now, heavenly treasure doesn't always provide the immediate satisfaction of earthly treasure, but heavenly treasure does not fail. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious that it's going to be taken away from us because even death itself can't take away our inheritance, our heavenly treasure. So, to answer... Our second question, how can Paul be joyful and content in any situation? Because Jesus has given us heavenly citizenship. He's given us access to heavenly treasure. And that's a whole different way of looking at the world. I think I have more succinctly said on this slide. How is it possible? Because our heavenly hope and citizenship is through Jesus. So that's the how, but what does that look like practically? We're still here, right? We're not in the kingdom of heaven yet. We still have to interact with earthly things, with our money, you know, our job, our, our families, our friends. How can we still be on this earth but still be content in all things? Now, it's not an easy question. I don't have an answer for you today, but I think Paul gives us a little bit of insight that's helpful. So we're going to look at verses 10 through 10 and 14 again, kind of the bookends of our passage, which kind of get overlooked because of, you know, Philippians 4.13 is a really famous verse. But there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of good insight in these verses. So I'm going to read them again. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. And then verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. What Paul is doing here is expressing his gratitude for a gift he received from the Philippian church. Paul was most likely a prisoner in Rome at this time. And when you were a prisoner in Rome, they didn't feed you or anything. So you had to rely on outside help for you to just survive. So the Philippian church had apparently collected some money, and they had sent it to Paul. And so Paul does 
receive this gift. But he is clear that even if they hadn't had given him this gift, he, he would have still been fine. He, he takes it as God's provision, but he knows that God would have provided for him no matter what. He's not denying that you know, he is going through a difficult time, but what he's most grateful for is that they were thinking of him. And not only that, he's happy that they were willing to be generous. They were investing in heavenly treasure and willing to give up their earthly treasure. What's more important than just the money is the, the heavenly virtues that came from that money. Because the money ran out. Maybe it bought him food for a week or a month or three months, but eventually that money ran out. What's lasting was the heavenly treasure, was the bond in Christ. I, I also want to point out here that contentment does not mean denial. Again, Paul doesn't say, oh, you didn't have to give for me. I'm good. Everything's fine. No, he says, you shared in my trouble. So contentment does not mean denying that we're going through hard things. Um, but this is a verse from another letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So contentment isn't denying that we're going through hard things, but it's putting them in the right perspective. That while what we're going through may be hard, it doesn't compare to what the kingdom of heaven is going to be. It doesn't compare to our heavenly inheritance. And because of that, we don't have to let our joy, our hope, our anxiety be affected by our earthly circumstances. So that's a lot. And that doesn't mean we're all just going to go home and cool, we don't, we don't have to be anxious, we can just be content no matter what. Good, right? No, this is, this is not easy. This is something we all have to continuously work on. And Paul says, he says, I have learned to be content in all things. So even Paul, it took him many years and many, many really difficult things for him to come to this point. It's definitely not easy and something we have to be actively working towards. Which brings me to my last question. Are you learning to be content in all circumstances? And with that, are you relying on Jesus? Because Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse has incredible power. But if it's not something that we are actively working on in our hearts and minds, we're wasting that incredible power that God wants to give to us. Like we were learning last week, when we set our minds on things that are good and pure and right, we can have peace that passes all understanding. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have the power of the creator of the universe living inside of you. So use it. Rely on it. I'm going to end us with this. This is Jesus speaking from John chapter 15. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot, produce, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This verse is kind of the flip side of Philippians 4.13. Just how we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, we can do nothing without him. We can't bear fruit. We can't produce anything that's truly good, truly pleasing to God, truly a part of the kingdom of heaven without Jesus. And any of those things that we've just talked about, about having a life of contentment, having a life of peace or joy, we cannot do that without Jesus. And when you look at Philippians 4.13 in its context as a whole, you can see how Paul is steeped in the message of Jesus. This is about so much more than just success in our lives right now. We started today looking at how happiness is connected to wealth and connected to health. But those things are not guaranteed. And maybe while they might make us a little bit happy temporarily, both of them are going to be one day taken away. Jesus wants to give us lives that are full of joy. He wants us to have peace in our hearts that passes all understanding. That is something worth living for. That is something that can make us content in every circumstance. This peace, this joy, this contentment, this citizenship in heaven, though, it came at a cost. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we deserve. And what we remember every week in communion, which we have on either side here, is that Jesus came down from heaven... He was God and he became man. And we remember that when we take his bread, we remember his body. And not only that, he willingly subjected himself to torture and to death on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And that's what we remember in the bread and the cup. We also remember that he rose from the dead. And by doing this, he made us right with God. He gave us citizenship in heaven. He gave us a hope that doesn't expire and doesn't fade away. We can have peace and joy and contentment no matter what happens in our lives. And I'll, the worship team wants to come up. Um, I'll just say to end, all of that starts with confessing your sins and accepting Jesus' gift of salvation and remembering what he's done for us. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't experienced that peace and contentment. You can come talk to me. You can, come talk, you can go talk to Riz. Talk to somebody at your table. Accept that free gift that he wants to give us. And for those of us who have accepted it, let's remember that through communion. You can come and take it at any time. It's on either side. And let's, let's praise him. Let's remember what he's done. And let's glorify him for giving us lives that can be full of contentment. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to to die for us, to pay the price for our sins. Even though we were still, we we were enemies of you, but you still loved us so much that you were willing to sacrifice everything to to bring us in right relationship with you. Thank you that you've given us eternal life, that you've given us an inheritance in, in the kingdom of heaven one day, but thank you that you also want us to live lives of contentment now. And that while things will be hard, we can have peace in our hearts and in our minds. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in anxiety because of what you've done. I pray that as we go through the rest of our day, the rest of our week, the rest of our lives, Lord, that we would live as a people that are full of contentment. Even when things are going well and when things aren't going well, that we remember what you've done for us. That we would store up heavenly treasure instead of earthly treasure. Thank you again so much for Jesus and we pray all this in his name.